Welcome to Above the Horizontal. My name is Bo Nicholson. I'm joined as always by Miles Stedman and Kieran Gibson. And we are here to, first of all, review round 12 and then also give tips for round 13 amongst a bunch of other things. The first thing we'd like to do is the Above the Horizontal Awards for round 12. And the first award is for Best Bold Prediction. And I'll tell you what, mine was a doozy. DCE would kick the the winning field goal in a very close game between Manly and Penrith. Unfortunately, Penrith went on to win by about 30 points. So my bold prediction is absolutely not correct. Miles, your bold prediction was that uh, two tries would be scored by any of the Raiders' edge back rowers. How did that go for you? Well, John Bateman set up the Raiders' second try for Curtis Scott, but that was as close as we got to a back rower from the Green Machine crossing, unfortunately. So it's a um, a big dead fish for me this week. Yeah, I'd say that's like slightly closer than mine. So you're, you're slightly <laughs> you're slightly in front at the moment. Kieran Gibson, uh, your bold prediction was that six tries would be scored by bench players across the entire league, including tries to Lachlan Lamb and Brandon Smith. How'd you go? Um. So before the Raiders-Cowboys game, or Cowboys-Raiders uh, game, there was three tries to bench players. Um, Lachlan Lamb wasn't one of them at the time, but I still thought I, I'd, I'd be pretty uh, close to getting mine right. And then I think only one more scored. Tino, whose last name I'm not going to try to pronounce, even though I said I would, um, was the only other player after that. So four tries to bench players. Um, Brandon Smith actually set up that try to Tino. Um, but yeah, so four out of six with two of the players I said um, would score, didn't score. Yeah, I've actually been trying to learn Tino's last name. I'm going to go with Fa'asua Maliawi um, and see how we go with that. Uh, but I, I would also say, Kieran, that uh, you are the closest to getting it right once again. None of us were right, but you were certainly the closest, so you can have the victory this week. Thank you. Um, best match of the round, guys. I'm going to go for the Cowboys versus the Raiders. It was, as a Cowboys fan, it was nice to see the resolve of their side. Uh, it seems to be improving under Josh Hannay as they matched it with one of the informed sides of the competition. Uh, for Raiders fans, on the other hand, though, they'll be happy their team were able to travel to Townsville, uh, tough out a win when they aren't in the best of form or condition. So, And it was obviously a really close game. Like last half an hour or so, the score was... 14 to 12. So uh, a really, really exciting game for a few fans. Kieran, what was your best match of the round? Uh, I had the Storm versus Knights. I, I did really enjoy the the Raiders-Cowboys, but I just I just love the way the Storm um, put together an 80-minute performance. And uh, in a case of an up-and-coming side against what I believe is the premier team of the, the 21st century, putting on, as I said, an 80-minute clinic, I just loved it. Um, I enjoyed Ponga's adventurous and risky nature, although it wasn't good enough for a Storm side in their pomp this season, to be honest. Um, their last four or five games have been incredible, and some of their play was electrifying. And for me, it was their, their best performance of the season. And uh, largely without Cameron Smith as well, which was which was fantastic work for them. Miles, what was your match of the round? Well, I had the Cowboys Raiders as well. Uh, I don't have a whole lot to add, but I, I you could kind of see Canberra witnessing their, their stranglehold on the finals, slipping away from them. And it was impressive to see how they stood up in the second half and fend off a, a worthy foe in the Cowboys. So that was my best game of the round. 
Fantastic. Uh, best moment is the next award. I'm going to go with Ren- Ronaldo Militalo's banana kick on the fly to a supporting Connor Tracy for the Sharks to pull ahead of the Broncos late in the game, which I thought was quite a brilliant moment. Uh, Miles, what was your best moment of the round? <laughs> and and didn't he give it to the crowd as well, as he always does, that young man? Um, I'm sure we'll say more on him uh, in the future in our podcast. He's a, he's a fantastic young player. Um, but alas, uh, my best moment, um, I've gone with a little bit of an indigenous theme um, for this uh, this previous week's best moment of the of the week given it was of course indigenous round and that was um, Broncos chief executive Paul White uh, who apologized to Steve Renouf on on behalf of all indigenous players who experienced racism in, at their time in the club uh, it's obviously it's not going to fix everything uh, as apologies don't and I'm, I'm sure white is is no racist himself but I think the I think the taking accountability on behalf of the club for the wrongdoings of the past is a, a massive step towards healing any open wounds that players may still harbour. Um, and it, it does provide an example for fans who who may be ignorant or, or just unsure about the topic itself. Um, I know that this kind of corporate leadership and, and virtue signalling isn't for everyone and it, it won't reach everyone, but it, it will reach a lot of people. And I think that makes it important. Yeah, here, here to that, and uh, and what a headline writer's dream it is to have someone named White apologising for racism to the indigenous <laughs> Australians of of the NRL. Uh, Kieran, what was your best moment? Um, I just I have to tip my hat to Miles there for his best moment. Um, I, I really Thank enjoyed you, listening to that. No, no worries. Um, I hadn't thought of that at all. Just about the the like just how profound an effect it could have, but um. Uh, from my best moment, I'll I have to leave the Broncos and their suffering fans out of this one and go for the Bulldogs' effort versus the Eels. Mm. Whilst I didn't watch um, the game, there are a few things that make me happier than a side lacking in talent making up for that with effort and desire. And at 18 nil, they could have easily given up knowing knowing they were playing the third placed Eels. Um, but their effort was gallant and bodes well going forward if they can assemble a better roster and keep that same attitude. Well, yeah, that's three games for Steve Georgialis in charge. They took the Dragons right down to the wire. They beat the Knights and then also took the Eels to the wire. So uh, good signs for them with Trent Barrett coming in next season. Speaking of the Dogs, though, my worst moment of the round is Aiden Tolman's brain snap moment where his brain wasn't working quite as fast as his body, taking a quick tap with his team two points behind and right in front of the posts. For a hit-up. Dear me, Aiden. Dear <laughs> me. Kieran, what was your worst moment? Uh, I had... I, I genuinely... This, I don't know how many weeks it's been where I've, I've uh, sort of given it to the Broncos, but I watching them capitulate, whilst I did... I, and I did enjoy it. I said I enjoyed it in the group chat. I think I actually <laughs> said I love the Brisbane Broncos, um, to be precise. <laughs> Uh, watching them capitulate, um, they, yeah, that was a bit rough. And I genuinely feel for for Seabold, the way they, they stole that defeat from the jaws of victory. But um, no kidding, it, it did at least tell me that they may be turning the corner, um, given that it was more than a 40-minute performance. And with David Fafita coming back, uh, there are some good signs there for the Broncos, but more on that later. Miles, what was your worst moment of the round? My worst moment was Bradman Best, who uh, we have on... I'm not sure if this has been announced yet, but we have it on good authority from a Hunter resident, I, I will add. That <laughs> he will be ruled out for the year. Um, 
I, look, I know I give a lot to the Knights on this show, but he's absolutely <laughs> one of the most exciting young players in the league. Um, and he plays on the, one of the NRL's most exciting young teams. So, look, it's a shame to lose him and what he brings to the to the games. So, that was my worst moment of the week. Now, you're quite right. And thank you to our Newcastle resident for the scoop. Uh, <laughs> hopefully, it's accurate. Uh, speaking of... so going well, hopefully Brad- not. It. It's accurate. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Well, actually, that's true. Sorry, I shouldn't <laughs> shouldn't rub I, that in I, Raven Best. I read case. today; it's true. I read today; it's very likely true. I think on NRL.com. So, I, yeah, I think it could be true if they're reporting it. Uh, it's, it's good. It's good oil. Then, uh, speaking of Bradman Best, I'm going to now talk about the best player of the round, the MVP, uh, and that goes uh, somewhat appropriately on Indigenous round to Cody Walker, as the Rabbitohs went down sixteen nil to the Dragons uh, with Adam Reynolds off injured. Walker dragged his team into the contest with that individual try and then guided them home with another try and also taking over the general play kicking. Uh, it was superb stuff and, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. Miles, who was your MVP? My MVP was, once again, Nathan Cleary. Um There's very little left to say about this guy that we haven't already. Um, So I'll read you his statistics here. One try, uh, two assists, two line break assists. He he didn't miss a tackle, which is fantastic for a player of his position. Uh, He was seven out of eight off the tee for the night. And uh, real quick conversion. I I think he almost got three quarters of a kilometre worth of kicking metres with the boot. Yeah. I said about a month ago, this guy was the best player in the, the planet, and I'm, I'm happy with that call just uh, a few weeks later. And it was all in an effort to take down the current Australian halfback, uh, which might uh, be a, a precursor for what happens later on in the year. Kieran, who was your MVP? Uh, I had to go with um, Ryan Pappenhausen. Whilst I, I had my own question marks about whether he could be the, the Storm long-term number one, um, given the fact that he... He hasn't really got that sort of um, passing, um, playmaking ability just yet. And um, I think the Storm kind of, with Billy Slater, they kind of like that. Um, I guess before then you didn't really have a player, but I think they really enjoyed that with Slater. But he he further pushed his case for an origin utility role up against Ponga, who's the the current, um, as we know, uh, Marone's fullback. Um, and he, he absolutely torched Ponga for that long-range try. But uh, I think he ran for almost 300 metres or maybe more. Um, and it's just tantalising for the Blues for their already stacked selection of outside backs. Yeah, you got to feel sorry for the Blues uh, having so many options to pick from. <laughs> uh, <laughs> how, how about we go into the Unsung Hero Award? Uh, mine, My player was an unsung hero in his team's win over the Titans on the weekend. Uh, but he is has been an unsung hero his entire career. It's Mitch Orbison. Uh, he's filled in everywhere, and he continues to do so as he becomes the 40th player to play 300 games this week. So congratulations to Mitch Orbison, who is a true unsung hero. Kieran, who is yours? Uh, I struggled for this um, selection a little bit this week, unsung hero, and then... I thought of uh, a few players, but I, w- I went with Kenneth Bromwich. Um, and I honestly, I don't know why I haven't thought of him before. He he used to be a solid Storm player, but he has added so much to his game the last few years. Um, his range of passing, he can flick pass, he can do a deft short pass to a, a, a good uh, hole runner. And he has a good stepping 
stepping um, game that make him a real line-breaking and try-assist threat. I even believe he is now better than his brother Jesse, who was once heralded as the best front rower in the game. Yeah, he often... It, it seemed for a while there that he was in the team because of he, he was a relative to Jesse, but now we can see that <laughs> he is coming into his own, uh, of his own merit. Miles, who is your unsung hero? My unsung hero, and I'm, I, as you said, Bo, a little earlier, I'm, I'm glad I have this guy, given he is uh, one of our Indigenous stars, and that's Alex Johnston. Um, mm. Look, this man is about as unsung as heroes come, I think. He was told to look elsewhere next year by the Rabbitohs recently, and since then he hasn't put a foot wrong. Um, he scored a hat-trick on Thursday, I believe, which was probably the difference between his team winning and losing, and he, he also led his team in metres and line breaks as well, and most importantly, for a wing, I believe he only missed one tackle. I'm I'm confused, Miles. You've gone on record before saying that the wingers are the most useless uh, <laughs> in, the, in the team. So uh, high praise for Johnston, indeed. Who also, as as we mentioned before, is adept at fullback as well. So uh, I'll allow you this one, Miles. I'll allow you this one. Time, <laughs> for, time for the uh, time for the wildcard awards. Uh, this is where we get to choose our own award. It can be an existing award or it can be something completely new. And I've gone for something completely new this week. I have gone for the is it a bird? Is it a plane? No, it's insert name here award. And it goes to <laughs> Jake Avarillo for that remarkable try he scored to get the doggies close to the eels on Sunday, leaping from what felt like the halfway line, frankly, uh, changing hands midair to plant it millimetres in the in-goal area, which was just quite brilliant. And we, we often marvel at the uh, the try-scoring efforts of those centres and wingers in the corner, but that was that was really something. Miles, what is your wildcard award for this week? Look, we um, we agreed that the wildcard award, we could take in any direction we want. Um, and uh, I'm absolutely going to use my 30 seconds to shit on the Knights again. Um, and that's with the Icarumba Award for a salary sombrero. The uh, the Knights have again, I think, moved a few things on the top shelf at uh, at Newcastle Stadium, Hunter Stadium, and gone into the special ledger and somehow found some money to sign up Blake Green for the rest of the season. Uh, look how these guys keep doing it uh, with just myself and... And also now my good friend Chris Waring raising an eyebrow is beyond me. <laughs> yeah, well, to have you and Chris agreeing on something is is really quite special. Uh, that is a, that is a big stuff. take. It's a big take, but uh, as you said, it's your wild card. You can take it any direction you want. Uh, it, I am curious. I would, I would like to see the books, but uh, I'd like to see that for a lot of teams, to be honest. And I'm sure we'll talk about payrolls very soon in the big question. Kieran... <laughs> What is your wildcard award for this week? Um, I've gone with the, the Denning Kemp Award for player that gives me maximum arousal. Um, and it goes to Cameron <laughs> It goes to Cameron Munster. I said on Sunday of any player when they're on, um, he is my favorite to watch. And even after a few days of reflection, I've not changed my mind. I have to highlight a deft play against the Knights on the weekend where the Storm lost the ball backwards and he towed the ball back further on the ground and then picked it up and danced forward, evading two would-be tacklers, recognizing that if he wanted to make something of that play, it was okay to go backwards first to then go forwards. Um, It only further demonstrated to me that this is a man that is prepared to do whatever it takes to gain an inch, which can very quickly grow into a yard of space and more for his team, which reaps benefits. Um, in the end and has a huge effect on the end result 
Andrew Johns highlighted after the or during the game, sorry, that he kicked crossfield for Ado Carr and that he highlighted that there's no hesitation in Munster's game. He backs himself 100%, and with his finesse, it has a devastating effect on oppositions. One thing I've noticed about Cameron Munster is that he tends to... He, I think he sort of puts opposition players to sleep a little bit. Like, he, he'll sort of play very, very slow, and then he'll just explode at them. Yeah. Uh, and mixing up that tempo really well is quite difficult for for structured defensive lines to deal with. So he's he's quite something. In fact, the other day I was quite. I had to raise an eyebrow. I can't remember who it was. I think it was Brad Fittler. I was listening to them talk about the best five eighths in the game, and they were talking about how great Cody Walker was, which was fair enough. And then he sat there and said, "I think Cody Walker is the second best five eighth in the game, behind Luke Keary." Ooh. And I th- I thought to myself, and I thought, oh. Cameron Munster's a bit hard done by there. I yeah. Think, I think he should absolutely be in that conversation. I think it's Kiri Munster just about tied for first. Um, and Jack Whiten might have something to say as well. Welcome back to Above the Horizontal. My name is Bo. I am joined, as always, by Miles Steadman and Kieran Gibson. And we are just about to delve into the big questions for this week, which are, who is currently uh, the best piece of business for any club as a player? Who is the worst piece of business for any club as a player? Or the worst value contract? Uh, Which club manages their salary cap the best? And which club manages their salary cap the worst so there's a bit to chew on there we'll start with the best value contract the 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 player that is represents the best value for money to their club currently i've gone with api coruscant he's estimated to be about 500k a season for the panthers which i think is a really astute purchase It, it seems like unders uh considering that uh only a couple of years ago he was considered to be in the running to be an origin hooker. Uh, and as it turns out, moving to the Panthers, he seems to have unlocked something there, uh, which has really contributed to their tremendous form and has them, I think they've won seven in a row now. Uh, and they're gunning for eight, which would be equaling what they did in 2003, which is last time they won the comp. So Coruscant has been quite the signing. I think 500K is good value indeed. Miles, who do you think represents the best value uh, this season? Well, I've gone with uh, Clinton Gutherson. Um, as we've seen, the price of a great fullback can be eye-watering. Um, big shout-out to Kalen Ponga. <laughs> but um, for, look, for the Eels MVP, um, I think to not even be, for some perspective, he was 34th on the rich list, which ranked all players based on how much they earned per season. Um, so to not even be in the top 30, uh, most handsomely paid players in the league is a, that's an absolute steal for that team. Um, and I think the kind of contract which allows Parramatta to fit in the other requisite premiership players that they have on their books. No, you're quite right. I think the Eels have done a great job managing their cap, and to have their fullback and captain for that price is good. He does sit oh, outside. Sorry? Stay tuned. Oh, okay. Fair enough. Uh, the uh, He does sit outside the top 30 most handsomely played paid players but he is certainly inside the top 30 most handsome in my opinion uh, <laughs> now that he's grown some hair back yes indeed Kieran who represents the best value to you um, I actually toss between Gutherson and Tao Malolo but I went with Tao Malolo 
um, signed to a, a, as we all know, a, a one million per season tenure contract. Um, I have him as best value for money just purely because of, um, I mean, you look at what he does every single week, but also what he, the value he brings um, to other players coming to the club. Um, I think for 10 years, I know we're talking value for money, but you get that. But also for the length of the contract, you, you get a 10-year window of players probably wanting to come to the Cowboys because you can build a premiership side around Tamalola. We've probably gone over this on the podcast, um, but it's it's huge for, for any side. And the Cowboys already have a, a half-decent team. If they can get a, a couple more players up there, they'll be um, doing quite nicely. This season, he's averaged 96 post-contact metres per game and 226 metres a game, leading the competition in both statistical areas. Um, yeah, there's not much more I can say about him. Yeah, averaging 96 metres generally would be considered a, a reasonable day's work. Uh, doing it post-contact is quite incredible. And and his charisma should not be underestimated. Let's let's not forget that he basically led that that uh, Tongan revolution a couple of years ago uh, with Andrew yeah. Fafita and, and turned them into a world-class team uh, when, he, when he, he walked into the New Zealand side. So uh, you're right that he could be great value for the Cowboys moving forward. I think he is. The worst value, though, gentlemen, this is a this is a tricky one, I think, because there is some, uh, looking at that rich list, there were some inflated contracts. I've gone for Josh Reynolds, uh, estimated at $850,000 a season. It, it And right from the get-go, like, there are players that are higher up on the list that have maybe played less than Reynolds or at least less well. But at the time of their signing, you could sit there and justify it somewhat in your head, or at least I could. You know, Kieran Foran is worth a million, or he's getting paid a million dollars because he used to be a world-class half. Uh, Ash Taylor looked like he could be one of the up-and-coming representative halves. Jack Bird was a current representative when he was signed to the Broncos and could have played 5-8. So there was some... Uh, method to that madness that hasn't turned out that well for those clubs. Josh Reynolds always seemed overs to me at $850,000 a season uh, and has proven to be worse value than initially thought because of his injuries and indifferent form. Kieran, who represents the worst value contract to you? Uh, Look, I have gone with Ash Taylor um, based on quite a few things, including how much bang for buck the Titans have received for the salary they've dished out to Taylor. Um, He would honestly, I think he'd be lucky to get a third of that when his contract is up for renewal before the end of 2021. And I have to laugh at his comments upon saying the contract saying I never really considered going elsewhere, which I think also translates to I never really considered myself a first grade football player. So to get over one million to imitate one goes all right. I know... He he was in representative uh, contention, but to be honest, I think you know, quite a few people in the, the the group chat would agree that he's not really um, up to scratch. Yeah, no, you're quite right. A million dollars is a bit steep for such a... He was basically a rookie halfback when he signed that contract, really, uh, and it has not... That gamble has not paid off well for the Titans at all. Miles, who represents the worst value for money at the moment? Well, before I get to my uh, choice, I do want to um, dwell on what Kieran said there for a second and the fact that what Ash Taylor said when he signed that contract in that uh, I, I, I didn't really consider going anywhere else. It's interesting, isn't it? It's almost, you're 100% right. It's almost like you're saying these guys are absolute mugs and absolutely I'm going to take this sort of money. So, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's an interesting 
no, it's in all seriousness, an interesting um, uh, soundbite. But uh, alas, uh, I have Ben Hunt, and I, I didn't feel 100% comfortable about this choice. But look, I think the facts of the matter are, when I looked this up, there were, and correct me if I'm wrong, there were two players in the league earning in excess of $1.2 million per season. That's the Queensland incumbent captain, Daly Cherry Evans, and Ben Hunt. And look, he... Certainly, there's lots of players earning one million, and and even a few earning one point one, but for Ben Hunt to be earning one point two, that's just that's outrageous. And he, as I said, he earns just a few thousand less than the the incumbent Queensland captain. Um, and he's never, I don't think he's ever convinced the soul that he even deserves a, a full time gig at first grade, let alone halfback money in 2020. Um, and I, I think this personally represents the absolute worst of the Ian Millward Paul McGregor partnership and. That's uh, look. That's that's why Ben Hunt is my worst value contract. Throw in the fact that they've got Corey Norman on nine hundred k estimated. There's two point one million dollars this season, and they were happy to play Oof. one of them on the bench, and one of them is in the reserves at the moment. So, uh, yeah, not good value for money. I totally agree. Uh, let's let's move back to some positives. Uh, how about the club that is able to best manage their salary cap? I've plumped for the Raiders. Their best paid player is Jack Whiten, who is also their most influential player, and he's on about 800k a year. They've got Josh Papali'i, who is one of the game's premier props. Uh, he's on 660k, and Josh Hodgson represents pretty good value when he is fit at 650. If a player wants to test their value, they let them and don't engage in bidding wars, hence why Nick Cottridge has left to go to Bulldogs for overs. That's why John Bateman is seeking a release. It's why guys like Shannon Boyd and Joey Leilua took up lucrative contracts elsewhere and played much, much worse. Uh, smart recruitment of players from the Super League has helped keep the bank balance in check and gives the Raiders some hope of sustaining a premiership window for a couple of years. So I've gone for the Raiders. Miles, you gave maybe a little bit of a teaser earlier on. I'm guessing you're not going to have the Eels as worst cap management. So are they your best? They are my best. And uh, you you kind of spoke to what makes the Raiders cap management good there. No, if like, for example, setting your, your, your organization some rules, like no engaging in bidding wars, no paying overs, all that stuff. I My perspective on this is um, the best cap managers uh, not only deal with their own cap very well, but they also deal damage to their opponents' payrolls. Mm. And when you look at, um, say, for example, um, Wonga Blake and Regan Campbell-Gillard, who are some of the Eels' um, week-in, week-out fantastic contributors, they're still being paid by the Panthers, who they're just not, not just a rival, but the team's biggest rival. So that uh, says a lot to me about the kind of value that they can find in, in players and um, not only uh, doing a great job with your own cap, but dealing damage to another team's cap. And outside of that, look, you, you've you got all the hallmarks of a, a well-managed team, Mike Acevo, Michael Jennings, um, probably even Mitchell Moses, all contributing on less money than they're probably worth. Uh, obviously, they'll all have to be upgraded or let go. But I, I, look, I have a lot of respect for what the Eels are doing here, even though I don't like them all that much, just because just a few years ago, they were, they were getting penalised for, uh, you know, maybe not cheating the cap, but for... Uh, losing control of their caps. So for them to turn it around in such a, a quick amount of time, it's it's quite impressive. Indeed. And Kieran, who is the best, 
Who are the best cap managers in your opinion? Um, I've got the Storm, and uh, just to kind of go back on what you guys said, I think um, the, the culture is what uh, has kept a lot of the players at the Storm. You've got Cameron Smith on 800k, Munster, admittedly, he's on a, a fair wedge, but he's on unders, um, 850k. Uh, and I know every team would say that they've got a, a tight-knit bunch of players, but you hear about it particularly, I feel, from the Raiders, as you mentioned, the Eels have been saying it a lot lately. Madison, since he went there, he's been saying it. Um, Brandon Smith says it a lot about the Storm, about how much he loves the boys. Um, and, yeah, I think it, it kind of it makes it so much easier for the club to, to put those players on unders. They, the club understands that it's um, they need to obviously not pay overs for players, but the players themselves understand that they, they sh- probably should take unders if they want to win a premiership, and they all buy in. And I can't say that about every... Every club, I think the Titans have been a bit wasteful. So I think when you kind of look at it from that perspective and then think of the Storm and the way they've gone about it, you sort of see um, just how well their payroll is managed. Cameron Smith, could he could easily have gone up to the Broncos and they would have thrown silly money at him to play hooker um, to kind of get them out of their mess. So I think them landing him on an 800k contract, if that is true, is a, is a, a masterstroke. Absolutely. Three very good cap managers right there. And it's no coincidence that uh, each of those teams sits very comfortably inside the top eight. And it should probably uh, feature it at least the semifinals this year. The teams that probably won't feature that strongly at the end of the year are the ones that don't manage the cap very well. I'm going to kick us off. I think the Titans are the worst at it. Throwing over a million a year at Ash Taylor uh, was a significant gamble that did not pay off. They've got Ryan James getting overs, uh, and unfortunately for them, he has been injured a lot as well. Uh, they both they got both Jared Wallace and Shannon Boyd on approximately 650k a year, which is far too much for middle forwards who aren't capable of swinging a game in your in your direction. Throw in Tyrone Peachy on half a million a year and Nathan Peets on 550, and they've spent about 40% of their cap on guys who are injured lots in and out of first grade or best used as supporting players or bench options. So to me, that is not good cap management, and I'm going for the Titans. Kieran, who are the worst cap managers in your opinion? Yeah, I, I've got the Titans as well, and there's not really much more to say. I, I do have one um, sort of stat to add to that. Um, of the seven, I'm pretty sure you named seven players there. Of those seven players, they've played a cumulative 48 games this season from a possible 84, and that's uh, 57% of the games and they take up, as you said, nearly half the cap. Um, the Titans insistence to throw cash at players that have not proved any form of consistency has proven to be a large part of the downfall the last few years. And yeah, it, it makes it an easy choice as worst payroll for me. And let's not forget, they just thrown huge cash at David Fafita and uh, the jury is out as to whether that is good business or not. As we discussed a couple of episodes ago, uh, miles, who are the worst cap managers? Well, the Titans do represent a little bit of this, but um, what really lost points for me in this category was short-term thinking and how that governs your salary cap. And insofar as that, the Broncos, for me, by far the worst cap managers here. Um, Their roster is full of of big money flops, particularly signed on on short-term bursts of form rather than anything else, like, for example, Jack Bird. Uh, Corey Oates, uh, obviously the Milford contract doesn't look great. Yes, he probably projected as a little bit better than those two, but still that's another miss. Um, 
And again, back on that short-term thing, you, you look at the way they shuffled Andrew McCulloch out uh, in so far so much as to, to pay, I think I think the number quoted was half a million dollars a year for him to head down to the Knights and play. Uh, and then to, to just a few weeks later go and pick up another veteran hooker in Isaac Luke. That, that to me really screams like, we don't have a plan, we don't know what we're doing, and we're not quite sure which direction our football club's headed in. So for me, it's it's the Broncos' mishmash of short-term thinking, uh, missed, uh, missed potential on players, and basically all the rest of it that's got them winning this award for me. I very nearly went for them. And one more thing I'd like to add to that is they let go of the likes of, say, Josh McGuire, obviously Matt Gillette retired, um, and, you know, moved McCulloch on in the attempt to hopefully sign the likes of Haas and Fafida long-term, and they have not been able to keep Fafida. So not only have they shot themselves in the foot by letting go someone like Josh Maguire, who would have been very, very, very handy this year for them, uh, they also have not managed to keep the young person either. So uh, you're right, they are absolutely up there, and, and it's tough times ahead for the Broncos if they can't fix that soon. Thanks very much, guys. Uh, some good choices there. Let's move on to above the horizontal thinking, which is which former players would benefit the most from playing in the current era. Now, guys, I've got to tell you, I have like 10 names. <laughs> yeah. So I I think I'm going to let you guys go first uh, before I uh, bore our audience to tears. So, Miles, if you could tell us which former player or players would benefit the most from playing in the current era. Yeah, look, Bo, I, I, I thought you might, um, being our, our longest tenured uh, member of the panel, uh, so I, I will keep mine short and sweet. Uh, I've gone with one of the guys who got me into rugby league in a real serious way, and that was Nigel Vanganar. Uh, he was never really featured as uh, the real point of attack for his teams um, in the centre and on the wing back in his day. And I think he would have greatly benefited from what coaches are doing these days with seeing those outside players come in and take some important hit-ups in the middle of the, the set or uh, indeed being featured in the attack out on the edges. And Vanganar was an absolute freak. He was so much so that some teams moved him to, to 5-8th just to get him to touch the ball more, which is absolutely not a problem these days. Everyone touches the ball almost equally in rugby league teams these days. Uh, he appeared, I think he appeared in the Dallium team of the year about three or four times and and with how important players such as Marcus Evo or, or Katoni Staggs, who really shape up as, as Vangana similar, uh, have become for their teams, I don't think it's hard to imagine uh, how good Vangana would have been these days and that he probably would have got uh, a bit more recognition than he deserves these days. I remember when I when I wrote the uh, for Real Sport a couple of years ago, I, I made a best 17 ever for the Bulldogs and I had Vangana in there at right center. A couple of people were a bit iffy about that. And uh, Owen Craigie, of all people, former NRL player, came to my defense saying that he was probably the best center he ever played against uh, in an oh. era where he would have played against guys like Steve Renner, for example. So uh, that's high praise indeed. And I do remember uh, Vangana scored five tries once for the Bulldogs, uh, which was pretty incredible. So a very good choice, and I think he would do really well. Kieran... Which former player or players would benefit the most from playing in the current era, according to you? 
Uh, I think this is absolutely a, a controversial take if anyone takes a, an indifference to this, given that he wasn't consistent for too long. But I've gone with Brent Sherwin, who I think would put 50 on the Broncos alone wow. by himself. Yeah, with the way... With the way Darius Boyd defends up in the line with a tiring defense, his short kicking game, which was absolutely brilliant, close to the line would be de- devastating in today's game. Um, more to the point, his vision and uh, confidence to back his ability would also be devastating. I only look at Munster today, who plays what he sees and isn't afraid of a chip and chase or any sort of off-the-cuff play, and I just imagine Sherwin doing similar things. Munster has gone to new heights this year, and I believe it's got a lot to do with the rule changes. Creators in today's game are so crucial with the technology available and teams' defences tightening. Sherwin has the ability, as I said, to break any defence and would be a great addition to say, I think, the Cowboys, who, whilst they are putting on points this year, that hasn't been a huge worry. They still lack a, a genuine attacking threat in the halves, although much of that is down to Morgan being out and some in different form from drink water. But our last uh, play options are pretty atrocious, and that was most prominent against the Raiders on Saturday. Uh, I just think with the go forward of um, the Cowboys have, Sherwin would wreak havoc off the back of Maguire and Malolo, and then you could let Morgan chime in when he sees something. How ironic it would be uh, as the Bulldogs chose to keep Sherwin and, and let Thurston go uh, when he moved to the Cowboys in 2005. How ironic it would be if Sherwin replaced Thurston at the Cowboys. Um, <laughs> and I think you're right. I think the Cowboys could very well do with Brent Sherwin and uh, Nigel Vungana for that matter. Uh, Brent Sherwin reminds me very much of, of Adam Reynolds. I kind of, I, I get a similar kind of vibe from those guys with their short kicking games. Uh, so, and Adam yeah. Reynolds is a, is a fine halfback. Good call. I've got 10. Both okay. underappreciated. Yeah, definitely. Both yeah. underappreciated. Um, okay, I've got 10. <laughs> so, <laughs> and they're all different players. Uh, they all offer different things that I think would benefit uh, playing in modern systems. And the most recent player I have uh, retired in 2000 or 2001, I can't remember exactly. So I've gone a little bit older. First of all, a very obvious one, Arthur Beetson. For his ability to ball play in the middle, which... Initially, when he did it in the 60s, 70s, and very early 80s, changed the game and the way it was played, has become valuable again as unpredictably, un- unpredictability and late offloads have become a bit more pivotal to the success of teams. Uh, I could really see him being like a Jake Trevojevic-style lock, um, Arthur Beetson in the modern era. So I'll go with Beetson. That's an obvious one. Gene Miles is another one that would do really well. I think he was a center and second rower. He started out as a center and sort of moved into the back row as he became a bit more, uh, let's just say slow, less athletic. Uh, But (laughs) I think in the modern day with his size, he would succeed as a second rower. He was a damaging ball runner and he had wonderful offloading skills. Uh, And people who played outside him, and particularly when he was a center, uh, would just... They would just score tries at will and then and then sit there and think, well, you know, of course, it's not me, it's Gene Miles. Bradley Clyde uh, is the most recent player on this list. He is the consummate lock uh, who would work all day and was a hard man to bring down for yardage. He took it forward from good ball and particularly from bad ball, and he'll give you 40-plus tackles as well. There is always room for a player like Bradley Clyde. Eric Groth, senior. Uh, imagine having Mike Acevo on one wing and Eric Groth senior on the other. Uh, (laughs) No, thank you. Um, (laughs) Terry Lamb, (laughs) 
the ultimate support player retired in 1996 after he was going to retire in 1995. The Bulldogs won the comp and he thought, you know what, I can go around for one more season with the Sydney Bulldogs as they were and uh, and didn't do so well. Um, but he was the ultimate support player, which literally never goes out of fashion like an Aaron Woods haircut. Brett Kenny, <laughs> this, the six again rule would have provided the perfect playground for Kenny's unique blend of athleticism and creativity. George Treweek is someone that we may not have heard of, but he played for the Rabbitohs in the Ooh. 1920s and 30s and was a remarkable athlete. Uh, I can picture him turning games in much the same way as, say, Luke Lewis did, because he has a very similar physique and, and hitting a hole would have been pretty incredible. Steve Rogers. I imagine Mark Gasney's attacking flair mixed with Matt Cooper's defensive ability. Rogers would be the best center in the comp in today's game. Keith Holman is another that people may not have heard of. He was a, a legendary West Magpies halfback. He was the Thurston of his era. He was tenacious, skillful, ultra competitive. He would pop up anywhere on the field to have an influence on the game, and he would surely benefit from the six again rule. And the last person I've got is the legendary and immortal Frank Burge, uh, who set try-scoring records for back rollers for fun. He was his era's Steve Menzies, uh, so it's easy to see that Burge would absolutely carve up hitting holes on an edge in uh, in today's system. So there you go. There are 10 players from very far yesteryear, plus the two that you guys have added. There's 12 that would certainly succeed in the modern era. Thank you very much, gentlemen. Let's move forward into the tips for round 13. Uh, we, I, I don't really want to mention how we went last week because you, you both got seven out of eight. Well done to you both. <laughs> I, uh, I managed a measly six. So, <laughs> so again, don't listen to me. Uh, please listen to Kieran and Miles if you want an actual good tip. And speaking of that, Kieran, if you could take the Thursday night game between the Dragons and the Roosters. Uh, yeah, so Corey, the big news from this game is, uh, well, I guess it's, it's not the best player, but big news, Corey Norman has been dropped with Adam Clune returning from a concussion in the halves. Um, ben Hunt shifts to 5'8", uh, with, as I said, Adam Clune at um, halfback, and then Cameron I- Cameron McInnes at hooker. Um, and yeah, they've, they've kept their trust in Tristan Saylor to come off the bench um, I really liked how he threw the intercept pass last week and then was involved in the play for Ravalawa, putting the grubber through that almost led to a very unlikely comeback that was before that pass a quite likely comeback. Um, and then, yeah, you've, the Dragons, from one week to the next, you just never know what you're going to get. You do have Dufty and Lomax that always produce each week, uh, and that kind of makes me give um, them that wild card sort of uh, prospect to this game where I just don't know what sort of Dragons team will come, but if those two show up, they could win this one. The Roosters, honestly, since probably round, oh, I think when they beat the Eels, that's the last time that I can remember a really, really solid Roosters performance. Um, their last two weeks against the Warriors and Titans, you probably would have thought they would have whipped them. Um, and maybe it's a master stroke by Robinson, resting Cordner, and a, a couple of other players. He's dropped Flanagan. That's actually other big news this week. Kyle Flanagan being dropped. Uh, you just, I don't know what sort of um, performance we'll get from either side almost. They've, the Roosters actually looked pretty flat on the weekend against the Titans. Um, I do have them winning this one. Uh, but I think it could be a really tight contest. And if the Dragons are in it in the last 10 minutes, like I said, Lomax and Dufty could really produce something for them. 
it's a really good setup they have at the Roosters where they can just like unplug Flanagan, plug in Lachlan Lamb and just know that Luke Curie is going to take care of it. You know, uh, I, I think the Roosters will get this one done. Uh, despite the Dragons, uh, I think, making some good selections. Miles, what do you reckon? I think the Roosters will get this one done as well. I have a friend who is a Roosters fan, and he, I think, will be tipping the Dragons, actually, after our discussions at work today. But I've still got to go to the Roosters. Oh, I'd, I'd be curious to know what your friend knows that we don't. Um <laughs> But if you could tell us what you know about the Friday evening <laughs> game between the Seagulls and the Warriors, please, Miles. Look, unfortunately, I, I don't know much at all, really, after seeing these two teams play the last few weeks. But, look, I have plenty of concerns that the Seagulls may be rolling out their weakest team of the year. And, likewise, the Warriors may be one of their stronger. But I I still don't think the Warriors are, are quite of the maturity level just yet to to come across the, the spit bridge and, and leave with the win. So I, I'm going with the Seagulls, but I wouldn't be totally shocked about a Warriors win. I'm with you on exactly all of those sentiments. Um, I would be shocked if the Seagulls were as bad as they were last week. So I'm going to go for the Sea Eagles. Kieran, who do you have for this one? Yeah, I think we spoke about it last week, or or you did, Bo, how the, the Seagulls have that little bit of shittiness in them, and I, I think off a big loss, that'll kind of um, come through in this game. I think DCE will come back even more determined to win, and uh, the loss of Blake Green for the Warriors is huge. I, I think the Seagulls will win. They do have a bit of shit in them, and speaking of shit, I've got the Broncos, um, as well as the Rabbitohs on Friday night. The Rabbitohs are unchanged after they come from behind victory against the Dragons. Uh, they do have that slight injury concern for Adam Reynolds, but they're, they're predicting that he'll be okay. The The big news, however, is the return of David Fafita for the Broncos. Unfortunately, after clicking somewhat last week, the side loses Milford to injury, so Croft will come into the side at 5'8", while Fafita's inclusion moves Offerhen Gowie to the bench. This is probably the best team the Broncos have put on the paddock for a number of weeks. Uh... But if the Rabbitohs want to be a genuine top eight side, and they currently sit in eighth position, they need to be good enough to put the Broncos to bed here, and I think they will. Miles, who you got, the Rabbitohs or the Broncos? I've got the Rabbitohs. I think they've been classy enough all year to put away the ordinary teams. Um, see Tigers, Dragons last week. So I think the Broncos. Uh, sorry, the Rabbitohs will put away the Broncos. And Kieran, uh, an upsets on the cards here? Uh, look, I, I did say there was going to be one in the, the group chat, but um, wiring if you're if you're listening to this and you were going to go with my tip of the Broncos, I've, I've switched over to the Rabbitohs. <laughs> what made you switch? Uh, to be honest, what Miles just said, I think the way they've put away the, the lesser teams and also the last few weeks, the, the intensity they've brought. I know they were down 16-0 against the Dragons, but their their fight back um, and their fight back against the Knights the week or a couple of weeks before that, I just think they, they play with a real intensity of late. And I don't know that the Broncos will be able to hang on when they really bring it to them. No, good call, good call. Uh, the Rabbitohs won 32-8 after leading 16-0, and the Broncos have been abysmal in the last 20 minutes of their fixtures, so that does not bode well. Uh, Kieran, you've got the Storm and the Broncos. Uh, sorry, the Storm and the Bulldogs, rather, uh, on Saturday afternoon. Um, so, yeah, as I said earlier, the Storm, the last month, they've been 
Brilliant. I don't. I honestly would have probably called um, Storm out of the race about four or five weeks ago, but after their win against the Roosters back in, I think it was round eight or around about then, they've just really pressed on. They've claimed huge scalps. Um, they've beaten the Raiders, the Roosters in that game. Um, and last week against the Knights was just a, a complete 80-minute performance. They're the masters of it. I know I've said it a few times, but I think just when you can you can really stay switched on for 80 minutes, it, it makes even an, a team with a, a really good attitude and, and huge desire to win, uh, it just makes it too hard to, to really get a look in still. So I've got the Storm winning. I've got the Storm winning, but in a close one, I've really liked the, uh, the grit the Bulldogs have shown. What about you, Miles? Yeah, the, the Bulldogs have shown a lot of grit for sure, but the, the Storm are a different kettle of fish. They won't lose this one. Agreed. Uh, we've got uh, two of your favourite teams, actually, Miles, the Knights and the Tigers. <laughs> oh, well, in, in, in more ways than one. Um, look, the the Knights have obviously lost one of their most dangerous players in, in Bradman Best this week, but I think surprisingly, and I don't know whether he was dropped or, or injured or, or what what's happened here, but... The Tigers have lost Harry Grant, and it's uh, it's hard to say there's a, a player of more value to their team than, than Harry Grant has shown this year to the Tigers. So I'm I'm really worried about how West will cope without him, and I'm tipping the Knights in a route here. Yeah, Harry Grant is an injury. Uh, they're, they're saying it'll be maybe a few weeks. Uh, there, there were some concerns that it could be longer term, though, and if it is, that's goodbye to the finals race for the Tigers. Um, he is a big loss. Uh, Moses Mbai is moving into hooker to cover for him, uh, while Kurt Mann, is, I also feel sorry for him at the Knights having to move into hooker after just nailing down that 5-8 spot with Blake Green moving in. So um, I don't know. I, I'm actually pretty torn on this one. I'm I'm also going to go for the Knights, though, but I think it'll be a little bit closer. What do you think, Kieran? Uh, I, I think this game... Uh, even though previous form from the Knights probably doesn't suggest that they're quite ready to to come back and ambush a team um, after a disappointing loss. But I think this is probably one loss too many for the Knights, and this game comes at a a terrible time for the Tigers, who, as you said, um, have lost Grant. I think the Knights will win, as Miles said, in a route. Alrighty then. I've got what is probably the game of the round, the Panthers versus the Raiders on Saturday night. And doesn't it look downright delicious. We've got Malachi Wateni Zelezniak back, replacing Charlie. Scores bulk tries, then needs a couple of weeks off. <laughs> the Raiders welcome Nickel Klockstadt back into the fold, which is a boon for them. Uh, Cleary has been untouchable, as, as Miles mentioned earlier, and Coruscant has been in career best form as well. The Raiders have been scrappy at times and brilliant at others, which is making my tip of the Raiders even more confusing, but here we are. So I'm going to go for the Raiders <laughs> in a close one. Uh, what, do you, what do you think, Miles? Look, it's, it's got to be the Panthers for me here. I, I think they're just a little bit classier than the Raiders, and they haven't proven that they're ready to lose to just about anyone yet. Yeah, fair call. Kieran, what do you reckon? Uh, look, I, I probably would have gone with the Panthers, um, but before the Raiders played the Roosters, but I, I really liked the way the Raiders pack stood up to the Roosters pack. Um, in a, a game that's pretty like-for-like like, um, in the player matchups, I think the Raiders will edge it. I think Tom Starling is quite an underrated player. I, I've really liked his influence on that Raiders team as well. Uh, so, uh, 
well, like two people going for the Raiders. Uh, that's, <laughs> that's that's ballsy. That is bold. Uh, might even count as a bold prediction later on. But Kieran, do you have any bold predictions about the Titans and the Cowboys? Uh, so um, the big news for the Cowboys is Michael Morgan is back. Um, in, in a bit of shock news, I feel uh, Jake Clifford's been dropped for Ben Hampton, who's played one game at 5'8 this year. It's a bit puzzling. And as we said, we think Jake Clifford's been harshly treated a little by coaches at the Cowboys. Um, the Titans, meanwhile, have been uh, quite good the last month. Um, they beat the Warriors and then they, they lost uh, in a close game to the Roosters last week. Um, and from memory, I, I actually can't remember who they played, but that I, I do remember them playing well in the last month. Oh, the Panthers, they really gave um, a good Im- um, a good impression of themselves, I guess is the expression to say. Uh, and yeah, I, honestly, I, I support the Cowboys. I've said that plenty on the podcast, but at home, I, uh, I'm really torn, but I honestly think the Titans will get it done. Yeah, it's worth remembering that for, for traveling teams, they're pretty much traveling in and out of whichever town they're visiting on the same day a lot of the time, which can be quite taxing. And considering that it's a Sunday afternoon game, uh, it it doesn't leave them a lot of time for preparation apart from their uh, one and a half hour flight to the Gold Coast. So that will be a problem for the Cowboys. I too am a Cowboys fan. I will go for them here. Michael Morgan... I don't think will be the answer to our problems at this stage. He, he, he'll be very rusty, um, but it's hard to look past Maguire coming back, adding that to Tamalolo. They got McLean there. Molo goes back to the bench. He's been fantastic. Um, I'm very keen to see Emery Pere make his debut as well. So I'm going to go for the Cowboys. I'll stick to the team. Uh, Miles, who are you going to go for? Yeah, I'm going for the Cowboys too. I think um, Michael Maguire, sorry, Michael Maguire, Michael Morgan will be a big in for the Cowboys. Let's hope he's not going to be a big in for for Tigers fans' sake. That's actually a bit of a Freudian slip because there has been uh, a little bit Indeed. of talk about Madge going to the Cowboys, uh, but he has poo-pooed that uh, to the Tigers very directly, as Benji Marshall told NRL 360 on Tuesday evening. Miles, you have the last game, which is between the Sharks and the Eels. Yeah, look, the the Sharks have surprised everyone, I think, in recent weeks um, after I'd say most wrote them off for the season. And, and the Eels have shown also how to, how, how to win ugly against the Tigers and against the Bulldogs last week, which I think, for what it's worth, it's the, the hallmark of a premiership team. Um, so we'll see how that sorts itself out. But look, uh, there's no range finder on the margin for this one. It could, uh, I don't think the Eels will lose, but it could be... Uh, a one-point win, it could be a 20-point win, but uh, I'm pretty confident the Eels will, will manage to win this one as, as good as the Sharks have been. The form guide is a bit confusing on this one. Uh, I think uh, I was kind of desperate looking for a tip here. Brad Arthur re-signing with the club until the end of 2022. That's a good omen, so I'll back the Eels in. Kieran, who do you reckon? Uh, look, I, I think the Eels... Um based on the fact that whether it's been a, a blowout score or a tight game, Eels have won, um, well, yeah, they've won the majority of their games, but even in those tight games, they've really, really showed their grit and held on against the Raiders, against the Knights. Uh, they did lose to the Roosters um, in that absolute bash-a-thon, but I think even if it if it's a close game, I think the Eels will get the chocolates. All right, thank you for your predictions. Uh, but we do have one more to give, the bold predictions this week. Mine is that David Fafita, who is returning after uh, months on the sideline uh, for the Broncos, he will miss more tackles 
then he breaks. So I think he'll be a little bit rusty in defense, and I think he will... Say if he breaks three tackles, he will miss at least four. If he breaks five tackles, he will miss at least six. If he breaks 12 tackles, I'm (laughs) fucked. Uh, (laughs) uh, (laughs) Kieran, what is your bold prediction? Uh, I've gone with three teams to lead at halftime and go on to lose the game. And uh, yeah, if the Titans are up at halftime, I I really hope this prediction's right. (laughs) (laughs) So three teams to lead at halftime, but lose. Uh, Okay, cool. Okay, cool. Uh, Miles, what is your bold prediction this week? Look, Blake Green has been been in the news a bit lately. He's been impressive since he was, he was told he was unwanted at the Warriors for 2021 now he's at the Knights, as we know. Um, so I'm looking for two try assists from Blake Green in a 18-plus point win for the Knights. Okay, there's two qualifiers there. That Blake Green will have two try assists or more and an 18-plus victory to the Knights over the Tigers. All right, all right. Cool. Thank you very much. Um, and, and thank you, gentlemen. Uh, we've pushed on through some uh, internet difficulties. And uh, Miles, I noticed you dropped in and out of the chat at one point there. Um, but uh, thank you very much for persevering. And go the Cowboys. Go Arsenal. Winning the FA Cup. How good. <laughs> <laughs> go Brentford. <laughs> <laughs> what? They lost. I know. Above the Horizontal is brought to you by the Pioneer Australia. Your regular panellists are Miles Steadman and Kieran Gibson. Our theme song is Tough Nut by Ryan Cross. I'm Bo Nicholson.